0: Acts chapter 28. Go there with me. Would you please turn there? and We pick it up in verse 26. And now, now let's do the thing I love to do the most. One of the things I love to do the most. Which is open up God's word. And just have fun. Alright. <clears throat> now when we came to Rome... The centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, where Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass, after three days, that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to the men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death, but when the Jews spoke against it, it was I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Nor, uh, no, well, not that I had done anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called to you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, well, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. At which point you'd think of you, where Paul, you'd say, oh, well, forget what I said, never mind. But we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet, your fathers, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. Isaiah 6. For the hearts of the people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, as their eyes they have closed, which of course is part of the problem here. if they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, if they should understand with their hearts and turn, then I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. When they said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. When Paul dwelt, then Paul dwelt, two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege tonight being able to come to you and to seek your face in this beautiful, warm building, in this place, Lord, where we're safe from gunshots and people invading and raiding and demanding we step up to the line for what we confess as a Christian. And with that in mind, we lift up, Lord, right now, the elections in Kenya. We pray for the pottingers who, willing, you willing, will be here in the next few weeks. We pray for no more bloodshed, that the machetes will be banished and the people will go back to living life, and that you would raise up a man there that would come to know you, or that would know you, and would lead a country to you. We lift up this search for a new pope right now. We pray you would raise up a godly man, a man who is after your own heart. For the over one billion people who claim to be Catholic, I pray that even tonight you would be speaking so profoundly that you would lead those people. I know you love them. I know that you want them. Please put a person in that place that loves you, that wants you, and wants to lead others to you for what's going on in California right now, we pray for the churches there. We pray that You would be raising up godly men and quieting those who speak lies. We pray the same in our own country here now. Lord, we pray for the power of Your Holy Spirit right now to open our eyes, unplug our ears, soften our hearts, that we could hear with our ears what your Spirit would speak to us tonight, that we could with our eyes see that which you wish to show us, that we could with our hearts receive that which you wish to give us, with our minds receive and entertain and gravitate to that which you wish to inform us. And God, tonight, redeem every second. Freshly anoint me, God, I pray. Do your work tonight. Because we need you. This isn't a box to tick. This is you we are seeking. So Lord, please have your way tonight. For those, if there be any who have yet to know you as Lord and Savior, let tonight be the night of their salvation. For those who have said yes to you, but have had a hard time stepping forward from there, give them that hunger for the pure milk of the word that they would grow thereby. Give them a love for fellowship. A freshness and in, in prayer. For those who do know you and are growing, continue to foster and fester those things that are good in them. That's you, of course, working. For it is you who works within us to will, to do, and to do for, our, for your good pleasure. And I thank you that you who began a good work, you'll be faithful to complete it, in each of us. I thank you that we're your masterpiece, your workmanship, your poema. May we tonight walk out of here so encouraged, so much more equipped, so much more challenged. Lord, break through every language barrier. Break through every culture barrier. And tonight now, Lord, minister to each one of us. Speak to each one of us individually right where we're at and corporately as a fellowship now. We've come to seek your face. Please have your way, as we surrender to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight is it would any please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because oh thank you David whoa thank you what is water is it see what happened it was water when he drew it. <laughs> And David, David's the only one who really knows what happened. Thank you, thank you, David. I'm, I'm not taking the role of Jesus now. I just want you in another that. No. And that is, it is. You've saved the best. You surely saved the best for last. All right. Um, Rach, go ahead and, and flash up the the, uh, the map, if you would, please. Let's start with that. Now, listen. It's been a long three years. I mean, it's really been a long 36 years. 36 years ago, a man who was a Christian killer met Jesus en route to Damascus. And from there, his life was transformed. You will never be the same. It wasn't because he adopted a new religion. It wasn't because he joined a new politic. It's because he met Jesus. and Everything changes. My desire for you isn't that you become more Christian. It's that you become more Christ-like. You encounter him. Now, that's, that was 36 years ago. Since then, there's been a radical change in his, in his op modus operandum. There's been a radical change in his paradigm, the way he does ministry. But The last three years have been pretty, pretty radical. So you see, three years ago, he was up here in the area of Macedonia. And while he was here in the area of Macedonia, he was collecting money. Among other things, he was planning churches, he was checking on the believers, preaching the gospel. But the reason that he was collecting these funds was because there was a famine that was taking place all the way down here in Jerusalem. The whole Judean area had suffered a terrible famine. And as a result of that, the people were suffering. And and I do think there's something to learn from this, that the church rallied together. And instead of just giving the money to, to people on the streets and then saying, well, we're nice people... When scripture tells us that no matter what you do in word or in deed, you do it in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus is to get the glory for it. And so what they did is they collected the money to give to the church so that the church there in Jerusalem could be used then, kind of like Joseph, to help feed the people around them and become a real fortress of hope for people. So, initially, Paul had planned to just kind of sail from here, but there was a plot to kill him, so he came back up here, and as he was here, it's interesting, during that time he actually writes the letter to the Romans. By the way, God willing, we may take a v- diversion for a week or two, but that will be the next thing, because as we go straight through Scripture, if we end Acts, Romans is the next thing on our list. Now, what's interesting is, is when Paul writes to the letters to the Romans, that's three years before this point where we're at in Scripture. He had never met them. Well, at least he'd never been to Rome. What's fascinating, though, is the familiarity he has. Now, we'll go in there in just a minute, but follow me in this. So in those three years, Paul has gone from here, and he's headed down south of Ephesus to this little area here, to the area of Miletus. And it was there, by the way, if you remember, that he meets with the Ephesian elders and tells them, you're never going to see me again. And so I want you to know I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not hesitated but to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. He says, I want to warn you. After my departure, savage wolves will come, not sparing the flock, to draw after themselves the disciples. Paul knew they were poised, and he knew the moment he left they were coming because they were hungry. I mean, what's the difference between a lamb and a sheep? Their diet. Now, with that in mind, Paul, after doing so, and the people cry and they weep because, mostly because they know that the, at least the words he said, you'll never see my face again. And there'll be 17 cities he will visit on his way down to Caesarea. And, and, and it's interesting because in each one of them, he tells us, I don't know much, but I do know this, that chains and arrest await me and tribulation await me. He says the Holy Spirit says that in every city I visit. Now, how many times do you have to be told that but Paul says, but I am ready to die, not just to suffer, but to die. And I love the fact that Paul didn't just say, okay, I'm okay with it, I've reconciled it. But Paul's like, I'm ready. That's, uh, that's what it is. I'm ready to die for Christ. Now, interesting, it'll be then he'll kind of make his way down and ultimately into Jerusalem. When he makes his way into Jerusalem, it'll be there, of course, at the feast, he's arrested. Someone accuses him of bringing a, a, a Gentile beyond the border, at the, uh, beyond the court of the Gentiles at the temple proper, for which then a riot starts, and they try to beat him to death. Paul will be rescued by those Roman guards, and then ultimately, he will be shipped, because a plot was discovered, to kill him, guys that said they wouldn't eat or drink until they would killed him. And so they move him over to this area up here, a little just above here, to the area of Caesarea. Now, in Caesarea, that he's there as two years a political prisoner. Two years. They don't have a legal charge against him. All they know is that he's a Roman citizen, so they can't hold him, but they can't release him because you can't legally release a Roman citizen into something you know is harm. And they know if they release him, there are going to be people that are going to kill him. So ultimately, Paul then appeals to Caesar, which was the right of every Roman citizen. But please understand... When you actually appeal to Caesar, you're not just kind of saying, I take it to the highest court. In almost every case, you have to file a countersuit. I mean, let's put that into practice. Let's just say, Rodrigo, he is actually having a problem, and he's having a problem. Hey, how are you? He's having a problem with Daniela. Buenos now, he has a problem with her and he takes her to court and he sues her and he says she's done this and this and this wrong. And with that then, she fires back and says, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And she winds up in that. Now, for her to take that to Caesar, for her to go to the highest court, she would, in almost every case, have to file a suit against him for harassment, for false testimony, those kind of things. That's what's expected. Interesting, because in our text, Paul will actually tell these guys hey, I'm innocent, but I don't really have a charge against my people, even though I appeal to Caesar. So we'll see that played out here. Are you following me so far? Okay. Now, if this is all really new to you, don't worry if you can listen to it later, and somewhere down the line you'll go, "Ah, that that makes sense. All right, now, so as a result of that, they they decide that they're going to send him to Rome. Well, that's been a really rough trip. And can I just say that's been even a rougher nine months. Now, the trip they take is going to be rough. It's going to be over 2,000 kilometers by the time we're done. And what happens is they're going to go and skirt around here, work their way up. Now, it's interesting because all of these men, they're going to be 276 prisoners or at least 276 occupants of this Alexandrian grain ship. And excuse me, the first ship that they take actually on their way up here, by the time they get to Tyron Sidon, which is up here, they're going to actually see that the man in charge... Lysias is actually going to show Paul the favor that he can receive care up there, which is interesting because I don't know what kind of condition Paul is in. He's been in prison for two years down in Caesarea. And I remind you, Romans prisoners did not spend years in prison. There are no life sentences. Well, sort of. They, they kept you for a week and then they killed you. That was your life sentence. Now, so for you to be in there for two years, that's a really strange thing. Now, with that, they kind of go up this way and work their way here. And by the time they make their way over to here where it's relatively peaceful... They board a second Alexander grain ship, or at least this one much clearer and bigger, assumedly, even though Paul says, I don't think this is a good idea. But the south winds are blowing, and with that, the people think it's okay, the experts seem to think it's okay, and they head straight into, a, into something much like a hurricane in the area over here. And they're trying to bounce off of Creed. Ultimately, they find a little island, Malta. And that island, by the way, they wind up running the ship aground. It's been rough. And there it has been. You've been 14 days without eating until that last day. And Angel finally says, Cheer up, Paul. You're going to make it through this. And then it's there that Paul goes to help and a snake bites him. And you think, How when will this end? And that's been all in the last nine months. This has been all now in the last... Two weeks. Then we spend three months here, we call it wintering. In other words, we spend it on that island waiting for the spring so we can go then and sail where we're supposed to go. Where we left off last week, by the way, if you remember, is we sort of chased our way up. Sorry, we're going this way. That's what we were. We chased our way up. We went to Syracuse, it's here, and then we started making our way up this way towards Rome. Now, by the time Paul is 50 miles away from Rome, people come from about 50 miles away in almost every direction is what it appears to go and visit this guy. And you think, but Paul's never even been to Italy. Well, let me show you some interesting things of what Paul actually may have saw that we haven't yet Flip, if you can, to the book of Romans for a second and go to the second to last chapter. It's the next book to your right. Go to chapter 15 with me, please. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll try not to do that all night. I remind you at this point, Paul is writing from Macedonia. And he says this in Romans 15, verse 25. I'll let you get there. I love that sound. Now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia, not, by the way, where he's at, in Achaia, that, by the way, is Greece, to make certain contributions for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, it's also their duty to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, then I shall go by way of you to Spain. Now, I remind you, he's writing to Rome, so which means now he's planning on going to Rome, and then he thinks, well, I'll just stop there on my way to Spain. Obviously, God's got a different plan at the moment. But now I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Do you kind of get the idea that Paul's a bit nervous about this? I mean, get the idea. Here's a very intimate letter to a a place he's never been. That's Rome. And he writes to the Romans, and when he does there, he says, Hey, can I just ask you guys to pray for me? Because I know when I get there, this isn't going to be easy. Would you pray, please, that I would be delivered from those people? Now, who is he writing to? Go to the next chapter, chapter 16. This is one of those chapters you might read quickly because there's a lot of names and you'd think, oh, I don't want to mess them up. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to see them in heaven, why don't you learn them now? And if you know them and they ask what church you went to, tell them Calvary Chapel. Anyway, so (coughs) it says this. Look at verse 1. I commend you, Phoebe. That's pretty easy, right? Our sister, who was a servant of the church in Centraea, She's, by the way, apparently the gal that had been sent. Ladies, you were running an errand to actually get this. Had you not been faithful, by the way, can I just say that? We might not have the book of Romans. That you may receive her in the Lord in the manner worthy of the saints to assist her in whatever business she may have need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Ladies, did you notice that the lady was mentioned first there, by the way? who risk their own necks for my life, Not only whom, for whom I not only give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, likewise, greet the church which is in their house. Now, we're familiar with Priscilla and Aquila, some of us, because we know that those were the tent makers Paul buddied up with to make tents when he actually was in the area of Europe, when he was actually seeking to make a living before actually the guy showed up with some support interesting by this point and it's interesting if you remember the reason they were even there in the first place was because claudius had kicked all the jews out of rome at one point and so they left and apparently somewhere down the line and he's not going to only he's only going to reign for a period of time which by the way has passed now 54 ad <coughs> excuse me so now they went back they went back to rome and as they did there's a church meeting in Priscilla and aquila's house and paul actually says and i remind you paul's never been to rome And he says, would you please say hi to Priscilla and Aquila for me? These guys risk their necks with me. And for the church that meets in their house, tell them I said, hey. That's the idea. Verse 6. Greet Mary, who labored much for us, another lady. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners, who are among note among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me. (coughs) Excuse me. Greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus. Probably from the city, right? Our fellow worker in Christ, and Stackies, one of my favorite names. Shouldn't this guy open a pancake house? Let's be honest. All right. Stackies, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ Jesus, and those in the household of Arist- Aristobulus. Now, by the way, it's questionable whether this Aristobulus was the same one that was the son of Herod. Well, you can argue with that if you want. Greet Herodian, my countryman. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, because he probably loves himself who are in the Lord. Crete, Trifena and Triphosa. A side note, but an interesting one. There are some commentators, and I, I don't know why you even come up with this, that actually would tell us that these guys are twins. And my answer to that is, what mother in their right mind would name their children Trifena and Triphosa? Now, if that's your name, I'm not here to insult you. Those who have labored in the Lord, the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord, greet Rufus. Yeah, there's one, man. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Greet Asucratus, Flegin, Hermos, Patrobas, Hermes, and the brethren who are with him. Greet Philologos and Yulia, Niras and his sister, whatever her name is, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The Church of Christ greets you. Go, back, go down now to verse 21 with me. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Luscious, how would you like to have that name? Jason, and Sestopater, so see, some of you guys, he's gonna, you know, you're gonna run into him in, in heaven and they're gonna be like, guys, guy, is, it's Lucius. Sestopater, so my countryman, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, he's the guy writing it down, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, the brother. So, I, I just don't, I don't want you to miss this. In this little area, you might read right past before Paul ever got to Rome, three years before Paul ever got to Rome, he lists 26 people by name that he says say hi to, four of which he calls beloved, two of which he calls fellow workers, three of which he calls fellow prisoners, four that he said have labored or worked hard with me. He mentions the households of Aristobulus and Narcissus. He mentions Nearest that he has a sister. Rufus says he has a mom, which we would assume. And by the way, he calls his own mom in the church that's in uh, um, (coughs) Priscilla and household. And he knew that Andronicus and Union were older in Christ than Paul was. And then he actually says, here are eight people from my own camp that say hi to you. Hey, by the way, Tim says hi, Luscious says hi, Jake says hi, Sassopater says hi. And 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 you can miss this, but please don't. This is a guy who used to kill people. This was a guy who used to drag men out of their house in front of their wives and children and beat them in front of them. How hard-hearted do you have to be to be that? And yet, he knows by name 26 people in a place he's never been to. I think that's radical. Now let me ask you, is there any place that you know where you've been praying for the people where you just, you, you've met some people and they've gone there now, where they're still carried in your bosom. Because we're trained, kind of out of sight, out of mind. You kind of work with whatever's in front of you. And yet what we have here is this was a guy that clearly was more about the mission than people at one point. That clearly has really opened up his heart to people. I love the privilege that we have now of being in London because we seem to be kind of central for every place in the world. People just stop here on their way to wherever. That's why you'll be able to see the church we planted in Africa, because those people will be coming here en route from America back to Africa. That's why you've got to meet several of the people who have come here. And the the beauty of it is, is that we don't want to just pray for them and then forget about them. We want to carry these people in our bosoms. We want to be able to take these people to heart. And I love the fact that Paul has been so transformed. So I'm just, just by a show of hands, if you could be honest with me, how many of you in here, before coming to Christ, were haters? And I'll raise my hand. I mean, some of you are like, well, I'm not really sure. No, if you were sure that you were a hater, and people would have said, that person's a hater, and I know that. Um, I know that because people, people have told me. That I don't know what happened to, to him, but I'll tell you what. I remember people used to say, you know, if they would, if you lived on a deserted island and you could have one thing, what would it be? And I told them, offense. You know, I mean, that was where I was before I knew Christ. And going from that to who he's transforming me to be, there's just something about that that is astounding. And, and now, let's get back into our text for a second, or <coughs> into it, finally. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> we finally come to Rome. Now, in route, I remind you, we've been stopped entire Brothers have ministered to us there. We've made our way up through the, uh, the Italy, the Italian you know, coastal line. And as we have, we've been loved on by people. And I remind you, people have taken us in, and there's 276 people. Now, how do you call someone and say, Honey, I just want you to know we're going to have a few over tonight, which some of you, you're aware of. We kind of do that quite often anyways. But it gets a little bit more complicated when it becomes over 200 people. But there is something about the Christian community that opens their hearts to people because one of the things it says, by the way, is that we're supposed to practice hospitality. The word in the Greek, by the way, and it's one of my favorite words for hospitality, is the word philaxenos. Phila, or phileho, means to befriend. It's the type of mutual love, to befriend. Xenos, to this day, means stranger. If you go to Greece and you want to stay in a hotel, they'll call it a xenophio, which literally means a stranger box. Hi, I'd like to rent a stranger box. That just doesn't sound inviting to me at all. Good, you come, now go home. Now, if I'm going to practice hospitality the biblical way, then I'm going to befriend strangers. The problem is, let's be honest, that is awkward. And we live in a culture where being awkward, we'd rather be filleted alive. Than be awkward. And I think this, to be honest, I genuinely believe, and I'm not the kind you know that I think if I drop my cookie or something, Satan did it, but I genuinely think the devil's behind that. And the reason is, if the the enemy can make awkward a huge issue, then all he has to do is make Christianity awkward and then nobody shares. And that's what's happened. We're afraid to go out and share Jesus with someone because we're afraid that it's going to go back to the weather or worse yet, someone's just going to look at us with that look like, you're an idiot, leave me alone. But the most dangerous thing is I'm not even talking about sharing with a stranger. I'm talking about sharing with the person you've sat next to that you've had great conversations with for years. And you still won't bust into it about Jesus. And can you imagine that one day they stand before the Lord and they see you bowing before glory and they look and go, how did you get over? Hey, Why didn't you tell me? Now in our text, we've been delivered to Rome. And can you imagine the relief of the Roman guard? Remember, how many, how many prisoners does a Roman guard need to leave behind, lose, or drop for him to be killed? One. And he's responsible, apparently, for 276 people, including a shipwreck. Man, you drop them off in Rome, which one of you thinks holiday time? Man, I am so glad to do that. And it says, when we come to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, Paul was, by the way, permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So now we need to have a little bit of fun, so because this is—I want you to see how this plays out from the standpoint of where Paul is. So let me—who can, who can I pick on here? Let's see, you can't see the fear on some of your eyes right now. So I need someone that kind of looks like a Roman guard. Dash, you're perfect. Come on this way. <laughs> you're thinking, oh man, come on, I'm pulling you out, man. You got me on this one? Okay. Now, now, follow me on this. Not on that. That was actually prep. Okay. There are two ways in which a person is put on a house arrest. The first is that they wrap a chain around his waist, and it kind of comes around the midsection. That way you don't escape. And then they take that, and they bolt it into the floor, into, the, into rock, so that you kind of basically you have a leash. Right? Well, that's one way. When you do that, you really don't necessarily need a Roman guard, unless actually you think that Paul is really handy with, with metallurgy, which it doesn't appear to be the case. The other is that you would actually chain him to a Roman guard. Now, traditionally, Roman guards were four people, and they worked every four hours. Okay, you with me on that so far? I'm just trying to. I'm improvising, so work with me on this, okay? So, what it, you kind of know what's happening, right? Yeah, he's, he's like, dang it, I knew I should have just called in sick. All right, so here's the idea. So we have to kind of muster up something here. So Paul and this Roman soldier is going to be chained. Now my question to you is, he is, according to this, he's part of the Augustian Guard. And by the way, thanks for having a fairly thick wrist. That will help a little bit. Um, uh, and so he is actually delegated by Nero. You aware that? And get this, Nero's responsibility is to send you to me And if I were Paul, I'm one of the most rabid evangelists that has ever lived. Think about this. Nero, Caesar Nero, has become one of the greatest mission-sending organizations Rome has ever seen. And why? Because they've made you a captive audience. Okay, now get this with me. Paul is here, and he is chained to a Roman guard. And there's going to be some things that are going to happen. First of all, now I want to remind you Paul's and I'm glad you're patient. I want, to, I want to remind you Paul's basic MO. Paul's basic MO in a city is go into a city, find the synagogue, preach Jesus, offend the Jewish people with it, make them want to kill you, flee for your life, go to the next city. Find the synagogue, preach Jesus and offend them, have them want to kill you, flee for your life. Next one. You know, and that was basically Paul's MO. Well, the thing is, there are three places in the world that had the largest concentration of Jewish people. One, of course, Jerusalem. That's kind of a duh. Now, second is Alexandria, Egypt. And the third was Rome. Now, if you go into a town where there is a small... Because all it takes for a synagogue are ten guys. They called it a minion. If you can find ten Jewish guys to rub together, you've got a synagogue. Now, if you take that and you realize that you're fleeing for your life in a place where you may not have a large group of people, what do you think is going to happen when you show up in a place where you know there is a massive amount of Jewish people? Every place you've gone, they're like, at this point, we've heard about you, we want you dead. They don't even know who you are yet. Paul shows up in Rome, and he's chained to a guard. And he's just, and you can imagine, he's sharing, let me tell you about Jesus. And this poor Roman guard, he can't go anywhere, Right? And here's the best part, three days, when do you, now if you were the Roman guard or if you were one of Paul's assistants, wouldn't you think, when's the ambush? When is it going to happen? I would think so. After three days, Paul can't handle it anymore. He calls the guys in and he has a meeting. <clears throat> and we'll get into that, but basically, here's the basic rundown of the, of the rest of the chapter. He shares with them, and it says, from morning until evening. Morning starts at 6 a.m. Evening starts at... At 6 p.m., which means more than likely Paul just preached a 12-hour sermon. Which I guarantee you, I should not go that late tonight. Now, with that, that means Paul has actually preached fully through three rotations of Roman guards. Did you get that? It means three guys came in and got four hours of Paul. How do you, you know, can I go to the bathroom? I mean, what do you, no, I'm not. Wait a minute, this is a good point. Listen, you know, and then get this. <coughs> so he calls them in he starts sharing with them and he, and he, he preaches with them and he tells them and he, you know at first he tells the guys look at I'm innocent you can tell that Paul assumes that they have something because he starts on the defense do you see that he goes look at I want you to know I'm innocent and they're like we don't know what you're talking about so he's like oh well never mind and so can we just have a Bible study so he has them all come in and as he does and we'll dig into that in a second and then to get this he preaches this beautiful thing and then the people kind of rally around by the time and he goes look at Isaiah was right And he quotes from Isaiah 6, the same place where God calls Isaiah into service when he says, who can I send? And get this, this is the beautiful And so here it is. And he's like, let me tell you about Jesus and how he rose from the grave and how the whole thing. And it's like, I don't know about you, but I would have fun. But that's kind of natural for me. I mean when we go to another country, we are really careful these days who we pick out as our translators because it's really fun. You go to Russia and you're like, Jesus is so awesome, he makes you want to go, Woo and you hear someone go blue blah 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 woo! you know. And by the second year people are like you know. And then you get a few that are more free spirited and you know, in Italy, it's a great thing, boy I make them run up and down steps. But anyways, so you got all this happening. But here's the most beautiful part. as he's preaching from the Moses and from the prophets, ultimately says, "Isaiah was right. When he said that you guys have ears, but they're stopped up, you have eyes and they're not seeing, you're choosing that because your heart is heart. Wait a minute, your heart is hard. And then yeah, you got it. And then he goes, "But listen, what he did say was that you wouldn't listen, but he did say that the Gentile would listen. Do you get it? He says, look, it, I'm chained. To the, the, you handed me over to the Romans. And it's like how this is like show and tell. Here he is. And you know, I'm innocent. The Romans even said I'm innocent, right? Yeah. You know, and it's like, and you guys won't even listen, but God said that the Gentile would listen, right? Yeah. So you're going to receive the Lord. Do you get it? I mean, how Paul took advantage of this when you might not. When we might go, Oh, I've got a little song for you. Nobody knows the trouble. of... I mean, where we might go with it, and where Paul goes with it, is this was an opportunity. Now listen, and I'll try to get you off of this. No, oh, it's stuck. Just there kidding. Is all right, man. Thanks, thanks, Dash. I, I love you, brother. So. Yourself in the yeah, yeah, that's it. Good on you, brother. Thank you. Give me a hand. Would you do that just because? You know. <coughs> Follow me on this. This. This individual had taken an opportunity of something that looks like a terrible setback and he used it as a setup. And that becomes really the difference in whether or not you're going to trust Christ when you understand or you're going to trust Christ beyond it. I mean, if I tell you that I'm going to trust Jesus as long as I can understand him first, then my logic is still Lord. And still the idea is, I'll follow you as long as I know where. And God's like, That's not following me. Could you imagine if Jesus sat down with his disciples and said, Hey guys, I said follow follow me, but let me just make clear what that is. We're going to go to the prostitute. We're going to go to the lepers. We're going to go to the scary part of, the, of, the, of the, the lake where there's a guy possessed. Oh, and on the way, you're all going to think you're going to die anyways from the storm. But when we get there, then there's this guy who's going to be naked and screaming, and, and you're already freaked out before you got there. And then after with all of that, you know, we're going to have angry people everywhere. They're going to shout, crucify me. They're going to beat me. You're going to follow me to the cross. And all of a sudden, you would say, I'll stop. Not it. Everything changes because the moment that the cross gets involved, which, dare I say, is really what Christianity is about. Well, it's half of it. Without the cross, you can't have an empty tomb because nobody gets to the tomb. And we really want a new person, but we don't want the old person to die. Is that weird? Because God's like, you can't have both. I really want the person you were to die because I have someone so much better and it's sort of like god saying you know i know right now you live in this shack i want to i don't want to just relocate you i don't want to just remodel you and i certainly don't want to just redecorate you i want to reinvent you and you think but i'm used to this place i'm used to that draft and i'm used to the way the door doesn't open and i'm used to the stove not working and i'm used to standing in cold water and calling it a shower and God says, yeah, but, but I'm not here to, to, to make your life a little nicer. I'm here to go, boom, and change everything. And we go, no, 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 no. Here's the, I, I already segmented my life. Here's the part that's garbage. Take that. This is the part that's cool. And God's like, I'm not just your garbage, man. I'm your Lord. I mean, if I'm worthy of your rubbish, well, how can I not be worthy of the rest? I mean, what are we proclaiming if we say the only thing Christ is really worthy to receive is this stuff I would flush? And Paul here is in a place, well let's face it, it's been a rough road. It has been a rough road for the last three years. <coughs> excuse me, he's been a political prisoner. He's been beat up. There have been all kinds of plots to kill him, and no matter what it is, no matter what it is. This guy, you just can't seem to knock out of him that he's going to use this for Jesus. Now, where are those people today? I mean, we're so governed by comfort, we won't even help someone because it's six more steps. It's a pound on our oyster card. We think, man, I don't know. And God's like, well but you never really broke a sweat on that one, did you? No, I'm not telling you you have to work for God, but if I'm in love with him, I tend to have a lot more energy for the things that are more important. Does that make sense? Because I'll be honest with you. It kind of makes me sick when I look at myself. I can't tell you about you. I don't know you. But when I look at myself and I think, Jesus, you gave everything, and I'm not sure I'm giving anything anymore. I mean, honestly. Honestly. I mean, a little time here and there. I get to do this, which I absolutely adore and love, and I know lives are going to be changed because it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I'm just a donkey. I know that. But I mean, if the Lord were to say, hey, let's jump out and do something crazy, would I only do it if I thought it would sound cool for me to tell you how crazy the moment was? And even then, that's selfish, isn't it? I don't know what Paul had as a vested interest when he was chained to a Roman guard, but he used it. And it gets even wilder. Follow me on this. So it says in our text, <coughs> excuse me. after three days he, Paul, he called the leaders of the Jews together, that's verse 17. So when they had come together, he said to the men and brethren, I've done nothing, there he is on the defense, the people of the customs, and yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hand of the Romans. When they examined me, they said that there was no reason to actually keep me, put me to death. But after this whole thing came down, what does it say? For this reason, verse 20, I've called to you because I hadn't done anything against our nation. Notice, to accuse the nation. I'm not countersuing. But I've called to you so I can speak with you because of the hope in Israel. I'm bound with this single chain. Then they said to him, well, we we don't know what you're talking about. This is all we know, verse 22. We can only claim knowledge on two things. <coughs> One, we're going to call this thing a cult. One thing we know is that this Jesus thing's a cult. The second thing is that everybody hates it. It's amazing how that particular mindset to this day still pervades. Whoa! This is like a miracle after miracle. <laughs> I'm going to leave my wallet. In. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that was really not right. Um, follow me on this. Case in point, Dilek. Dilek was raised, and I'm just going to pick on you. I'm sorry, honey. Um, Dilek was raised in Turkey. Some of you were raised in cultures like this. For her to give her life to Christ, there are immediate costs. For her to say yes to Jesus, there are those that would try to teach her in her own culture. And you correct me if I'm wrong. Annie, she wouldn't even be Turkish anymore. That's insane. Was, well, we don't know much. All we know that if you really trust in Jesus and praise the Lord, pray for our sister and others like her. That by the way, man, what a hero. She's not, she's not applauding herself. I am. She made a choice and she knew there were costs involved. What about us? Some of us, you kind of knew that guy's going to break up with you. That girl's not going to go out with you. You might lose your job. Someone's going to think you're an imbecile. Yeah, you're probably right. It's a small cost. If you're in love with someone, you don't care. All of a sudden, Rodrigue falls in love with a girl named Karen, and if someone has a problem and they just hate the name Karen, he's not going to care. He's still in love because the love is stronger. His commitment to her is stronger than that. I would hope that mine was with the Lord. It's like, look, we don't know much. All we know is that this Jesus thing is bad, man. When we're in Israel and you're sharing, we tell people, tell me what you understand about Jesus. All we know are two things. One is that, that he's bad. And the other is if I accept him, I won't be Jewish anymore. Ironic, because most of those people that I speak with don't even know what it means to be Jewish. I'm like, so is it like a religion? Well, yeah. But that person is not religious. Are they still Jewish? Well, yeah, it's kind of a bloodline. Well, wait a minute. So like if they give their life to Jesus, will they be like Italian now? And it's that weird. And you go, well, it's just part of our culture. Can I just say this? The benefit that Delek actually had was she knew that it was going to cost her. Every one of us, when we gave our life to Christ, we need to realize it's countercultural. A culture that says, we want to tolerate everything but you. I'm like, funny, that's pretty intolerant as far as I'm concerned. That we're going to actually stand up and say, no, I can actually say no to that. And that's a testimony to others and that I have a brand new life and I could care for somebody that I would have rather punched before. And I think how insane is that? And when people look at that, it's countercultural. And when we're not just saying you can't do that, we're saying I don't want to do that anymore. Beloved, please hear me on this. He sits down with these people and they're like, look at all I really know is this. Weird as it is. Um... If if, we, if you say, well, if, if you say yes to Jesus, I, I, it's just spoken of everywhere. It's a bad thing. So he says, well then let's sit down and talk. Let's well, point a day. You guys, be prayed up. And what's interesting is that these guys do it. The Jewish people come in, and he starts to share from Moses and the prophets. Please don't miss this. Wow, what what would that be like? When we were in Israel and a few trips ago, there's a thing called birthright. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It is a tugly You take a bunch of people with the idea that are Jewish by blood and they're from 18 to 23 and you fly them as an all-expense paid trip to Israel with the hope that they would fall in love with Israel and make Aliyah, which is like permanent pilgrimage, to get more Jewish people into Israel. So what do you do when you take a bunch of kids that are 18 to 23 and you give them all the free time and they're away from mom and dad for the first time? It becomes like the party love boat. And everybody for the first three days, they're so wasted, they don't even know what country they're in. But somewhere about four or five days into it, they're bored with it, strange as it is. And they're sitting out in their hallways. And so are we then. We sit out there and go, you know, I I know people tell me that Jesus wasn't really Jewish. Could you read the Gospel of Matthew to me? And just please, because I must be ignorant. Show me where in this book he's not Jewish. I've gotten such beautiful insights from these guys who, by the way, never told me anything that isn't Jewish. They'll be like, did you know that this is a Jewish tradition? And I'm like, whoa, really? That's cool. And by the time you're done, you're praying with these guys three days later because they're like, whoa, this is your Jewish Messiah. What were you we supposed to come and conquer? He conquered death, bro. He conquered sin and guilt, which is the eternal issue. Rome's gone. I mean, it still exists, but it's not an empire like it was. But your sin still is. God is so good with that. The reason I say that is is that Paul takes the opportunity and they all get together and he does the same thing. Genesis 1, right? I mean, from the beginning, Barashid al-Chim, the second word, al God plural. Why is God plural? By the second chapter, let us make man in our own image. Why our, when man is made in the image of God? By chapter 3, that the seed of the woman, how does that work? When it's the man that produces seed, the woman, it's the egg. We won't develop, you get the idea. Chapter 4, we have the the whole lineage of Cain, and if you chase it down... Okay, and this containment in every name means something when it's, which is mortality dedicated to destruction who smites God presenting himself as God who mourns that's the, the lineage and then in chapter 5 what do we have? we have the lineage of Seth starting with Adam which is Adam is man sets his compensation man's compensation for his mortal coil or mortal cell Does a blessed God Mechaleel, will descend Yared his death shall bring Methuselah, Methuselah his death brings it Namek, those who mourn noach, rest Brilliant how God does that. Then we get to the next chapter, we meet that guy Noah. What does his name mean again? Rest. We're only in the sixth chapter. And get this, he's got this big boat and the only way to escape the wrath of God is to enter into his rest. Huh. We've only gotten to chapter 6. And I think, that's that. Then Exodus, it's the slaughter of the lamb and the death of the firstborn son that even brings us in. Leviticus, it's the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood that covers that makes pure. It's Numbers. It's where God weeds out the old man to bring the new one in for what he wants. It's Deuteronomy that God will raise up. The prophet like me, whom you must hear, says Moses. It's Joshua, who, by the way, Joshua Yehoshua's his name means Jesus. And he's there at the Yurdan, Jordan River, which, by the way, Dan means judgment. Yur means flows from, or comes from, or from. And he stops the flow at a town called Adam, which means man, next to a town called Zeratan, which means their distress. So get this. Yahushua, Jesus, stops the flow of judgment at a man beside their distress so we could go where God called us to. Okay, and that's just Joshua. You want to get to Judges? You want to get to Ruth? The Gospel of Ruth? The Book of Redemption? Get that for eight hours. Twelve hours. And be a Roman guard. You might think, well, I'm not too sure I'm getting most of this. I'm not sure I got that whole prophecy thing. Well, after about twelve hours or your four-hour shift, do you flee for your life or do you sit in there and listen to the rest of the sermon? More than likely, you flee, realize what you're doing, and you come back. Right? And so at all of that, by the way, he, they listen to the whole thing. And it says that God only puts them into two groups. And here are your two groups. Those that believe and those that won't. That's all he said. That's all there is. There's not agnostics in this group. By the way, the word agnostic, you're probably aware of, means ignoramus. That's what the word means. Nost means to know. "As" is negative. means I don't know. God says there aren't any of those. Either you're choosing to believe or not. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. That's it. They go, well, are you a Baptist or a Pentecostal? Or are you a Pentecostal Baptist? God's like, do you believe or not? Because if you believe, you've given me permission to come inside you and transform you, to reinvent you like I want to. That's what we're trusting, right? And then he says, is that the case? Then he says, all right, well, here's the issue God said you wouldn't listen, but he said this guy would. And it ends with this. And by the way, and we're almost done here, but I want to take you to a couple quick books and we're going to close this up, okay? Please follow me on this. We get to the end of the book. Paul is now in Rome. And by the way, you ever watch one of those movies where you are just sure there's going to be a sequel because there's no real ending? And you're like, wow. They couldn't have even given me a sense that this was finished. You're like, oh no. I should have just bought the two tickets when we first came in. He says at the end of this, when he had said these words, the Jews departed and a great dispute among themselves. Verse 30. Paul dwelt for two whole years in his own rented house. And I wonder who paid that rent. And it says, and he received all who came to him. I wonder who that is. I'll give you that in just a moment here. Preaching the kingdom of God By the way, God always makes clear that that's a positive in Scripture. Please never give that, oh, I'm not going to preach at you, man. I'd say, please do. He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding Him. And so if I were to ask, well, what are the last words of the book of Acts? You might say, forbidding Him. Because that's it in the English. But I'm going to give you the last four Greek words as it is originally written. Are you ready? Ready? first word, meta. Can you say that? Meta. Meta means amidst or with. As a matter of fact, the, word, the Greek word for air is air. Do you get that? Look, at, you know a Greek word now, right? All words from Greek words. So when something is amidst the air, it is a meta air, or we would say meteor. That's where the word comes from. Get the idea. So first word. So the first word is with. Second word, passes. Can you say passes? Like, yo, this is my passe. No, no, passes means all. Third word, <coughs> paresias. Say paresias. Come on, give me good Greek. Paresias. Paresias is the word, by the way, for boldness. Then the last word, akalousis. Or actually, in this case, it's akaloutis. Would you say akolutos? Akolutos literally means, kalutos means to stop. I, with a negative, means unstoppable. The way that this book ends, uh, these four words, with all boldness unstoppable. That's how this book ends. How cool is that? And you kind of go, well, it still doesn't feel like it ends. And can I just say, duh, the reason is simple. Because I really do believe God is still writing this book. How do I know that? Because in Revelation chapter 20, it says in verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, by the way, that which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, each according to their works, the things that were written in those books. And you go, well, wait a minute. I thought we weren't judged by our deeds. Strange, because in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, Judge nothing before its time, and when the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heartless, and then each one's praise is from God. See, God is still recording deeds. He's just not recording your bad ones. How beautiful is that? I mean, imagine the one-sided book that's going to be. Now, for some of us, it might be a pamphlet. I pray not. I pray mine would be more like a Russian novel. You know, one of those things where was like, boom, and it hits the table, you know? And, and it's not because what I want to do is lots of great stuff. Actually, I would love to do lots of great stuff, but because I love him and he's worth it. And, I, and I, God just doesn't want us to get a sense of finality. And the reason is, what would he be writing in your life this week? They'd be, well, could have got up, but didn't. Well, can't write that down. That's not so good. I said, go do that. And they said, that's a little too crazy, God. We can't write that down. What could he write? What could he write down this weekend? What could he write down? I mean, it could be—I'm sure that most of what it is, we won't even remember when we stand before him. You chose to pray for that girl because you were concerned. You didn't even know her, but you thought, "Can I pray for you, anyways?" You risked the awkward. You said, "Hey, let's get together and just read the Bible." How crazy is that? You risked the awkward got up and said, you know what, I'm going to do something different. I'm just going to walk through the streets and I'm going to pray. And Lord, if all you want is for me to walk with you and I look like a lunatic, that's cool. And if you tell me to share with someone, I will, but I just want to be available. And you could just see, man, may God give the angels writer's cramp because of your availability. Because we know this, it is he who works within us to will to do to do for his pleasure anyways if the only difference is whether you let him so close this up with me are you ready we're going to turn to four books because wow paul why does god have paul in prison for two years he'll be here from 60 to 62 a.d then he'll be released till about 65 66 67 and then he'll be caught one more time and murdered by nero now what does he do in those two years god says i have a new ministry for you but you go, well, here I am in the captive thing. And God says, look, you know what I have? I have the book writing ministry. You're going to write the Bible. How do you think? Okay, that's pretty cool. I'm good with that. Well, let me just point out a few things in those books. By the way, those books will be Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Look at these, just a couple of verses with me, would you please? And we're going to bring this to a close. Ephesians. Look at chapter. Go to Ephesians. You're going to go to the right now, Romans, Galatians. I'm sorry, Romans, you got the Corinthian letters, and then you have Galatians, and then Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace which was given to me for you. That's how this whole thing starts. Paul just wants you to know that he's a prisoner, but he's a prisoner for Christ's sake, and that's okay. Go two books over now to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul is writing, I remind you, from this Soto prison cell, and in 1 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Who else is at that house with Paul? Come on, give it to me. Give me some love. What is it? Timothy. We know Timothy is there. Go to chapter 4 with me. Verse 7. More verses you might read quickly through. Chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. What does that mean? Paul sent the guy to talk to him. So where did he come from? Paul. So who else was with Paul? Tychicus. I'm even saying the name first, so you're safe, right? I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he'll make known to you. He says, by the way, so you'll know the circumstances concerning me and comfort your hearts with Onesimus. Who else is with him? Beautiful. Who, by the way, was the escaped slave that Paul will write to Philemon about? Faithful and beloved brother. He's one of you. They will make known to you all the things which are happening to you. Verse 10. Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner, greets you. Who else? With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Who else? Um, of whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who was called Justice. Who else? Right. Called Justice. These are my only fellow workers of the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. In other words, these are just the Jewish crew that hang out with me here. They've proved to be a comfort with me. Verse 12. Epaphras, who was one of you? Who else? Nice. A bondservant of Christ greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. I bear witness that he has great zeal for you and those of Laodicea and those of Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician and demons greet you. Who else? Two more names. Who are they? And again, yeah, beautiful. Now don't miss this. If I get this right, if all the people who are Jewish are from 11 up, that means that Luke is Jew, isn't Jewish. He's a Gentile. Do you realize that Luke, a Gentile, wrote over a third of the New Testament? That's kind of fun to think, isn't it? Okay, well, with that, go to Philemon. You're going to the right, all the T-books, the Thessalonians, the Timothy's, Titus, and then Philemon. (coughs) We're almost done. We're almost done here. (coughs) Philemon, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. That tells me who else is there with Paul. Timothy to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Look at verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ greets you, so we know he's there. Verse 24, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow laborers. You got that, right? Okay, let's get to the last of them. Close this up. Philippians 1. You're going to go to the left again, past those T-books, just shy, one beyond Colossians to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Let me tell you what Paul did with his imprisonment and how he saw it. Because it's so Different from the way we look when we think, I got cut off, I missed my train, I'm gutted. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brothers, that the things which have happened to me, I don't read you, this is Paul writing from Rome. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now listen to this. Paul was able to preach. And when he was able to preach, he preached to the whole guard. But what guard? What guard? What does it say? The palace guard. Well, the palace guard means whose palace? Nero's. Nero, the nutball. The nutta sends these guys in to the evangelist, and they're getting saved. And he sends in more. Ah, who's the hardest heart I could find? Ah, send him in. These guys are getting saved. And Paul says, you know, how do you get it? I mean, all of Nero's bodyguards pray with me. Think about that. And all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And you say, well, how do we know we responded? Follow me on this. Verse 14, he says, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Look at chapter four, last couple of verses, verse eighteen. Indeed I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent to you, sent from you, which tells us by the way that the Philippians sent aid while Paul was there, maybe for the rent, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God. And my God shall apply shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He doesn't say I'll supply all your need according to what you think are riches. Look at the last, 421. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me here greet you. All the saints greet you. In Caesar's household. How do you get that? Hey, the guy that's making Caesar's bed, the guy that's making Caesar's salad, the guy that's... <laughs> sorry. the guy that's pouring his wine, the guy that has to read the annals to him so he falls asleep at night. There's this private joke around Nero's house. No wonder why the guy went mental. I mean, he refused Christ, and everybody else said yes. Think about this. What is a setback right now? What didn't you get you thought you should? What are you frustrated with because you think, I should be here, but God isn't giving it to you? And you're so busy looking at what you don't have. You're not seeing the setup he's hooking you up with right now. And you're thinking, but I'm still single. Or you're thinking, but I should be here. Or, God, did you have done this? Where's my house? Where's my job? Where's my whatever? And God's like, hello. How about Where's my calling? I have a place for you right now in this season you may never have this season again and how long you're going to have it i can't tell you he knows but man he's obviously got you here for a reason it's not a setback it's a setup some of us knew that when our precious sister amina testified about the ovarian cancer and how two days i mean we knew that before we knew anything about what god was going to do We just knew God was going to do something. And so when two days before her surgery, God totally healed her of it, most of us kind of went, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we screamed, we yelled, because God is awesome. Doctors are dumbfounded, as we would expect. But I think the greatest miracle is that Amina had a resolve in her heart, we knew this, that even if he slay her, she was going to praise him. And that, let's be honest, didn't that encourage us even more than the healing? I mean, not that we would ever wish, Amina, that you would get it again, or any of you for that matter. The point is, is that there's got to be people like that out there, and that should be you. And whatever he's got you in right now, wherever he's got you, I'm not talking about you're in sin and that's where the Lord has you. We know better than that. You repent. But if wherever he has you, wherever he has you, setting you up now look in my God so loved you that when you hated him when you were dead in your trespasses and sin when you were his enemy he sent his son Jesus his only begotten son to die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine and the cross says paid in full and the empty tomb says brand new life that's what it says So don't tell me how God would withhold from you anything when he wouldn't withhold from you the thing that was most precious to him other than you. Psalm says, Psalm 84, he will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. So can I just say this? If you ain't got it and you're serving him, it ain't good yet. It may be good later. But man, why don't you celebrate what he has for me right now? Because discontented people make terrible witnesses for a God that we say in his presence is the fullness of joy. Now listen as we go to prayer. We've covered a lot tonight, I recognize that. <coughs> First, if you've not accepted that gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a choice to say yes to that. Because you're going to walk out of here in one of two categories. Those who've chosen to believe or those who've chosen not to. to, Well, or whatever. There you go. And you're going to be one or the other. My prayer is every one of you would walk out of here saying, all right, Jesus, if you really did pay it all and all you really want is my surrender to reinvent me, then I give you the rights to all of me. But if you have said yes to Jesus, I'm going to give you a choice today too. Is there any area right now you're trying to have God demo half your house? You've actually set guidelines and said this you can touch, this you don't touch. Don't touch my talent, don't touch my brains, don't touch my looks, don't touch my dreams, don't touch my priorities, don't touch my friends, don't touch this relationship, don't touch this plan. Is that where you're at? And then you're going to say to the Lord, no Lord? How does that work? When Jesus says, come and follow me, and a guy actually talks about his father, he says, let me first. And I think it's strange for him to say, Lord and me first in the same sentence. My question to you is, well, which one goes first? Who's really the Lord? Your logic? Yourself? Or the one who deserves it? Because as we go to prayer tonight, I would so love us to be able to say, as Paul did to the Philippians, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And you will never confidently be able to say to die as gain if you cannot confidently resolve to live as Christ. Would you pray with me, please? (coughs) Excuse me. Lord, we have such a hard time praising you for the, for the chains, whatever those would be. I know that. When things restrict us, tie us to things. And yet, Lord, I just thank you for Paul's example. I think of those that um, have been in marriages that have been rough. But they're so busy complaining about it that they can't even invest You, Jesus, into those people, even though they know they're kind of tied to them, Well, they are tied to them. And for those, Lord, right now, that it's something else. It's something that limits them. Lord, they think it's their singleness limits them, ironically, or they think that it's the place that they're at or their lack of finances or it's whatever it is. Lord, You know our hearts. And we're so busy looking for that way out, we can't even see that you're trying to do something right here, right now. And can I just say, as, um, as a priest for these precious people, and myself included, can I just ask for your forgiveness? Here's a guy, Lord, who says he's learned to be content in everything, and he has so much less to be content of than we do. And so I I just pray, Lord, right now, you would do something really cool in this time. Lord, that you would genuinely open our hearts back up, please, and help us to see what you're doing here. And even if we don't understand it, Give us the faith, Lord, to know that whatever it is you're, if you're at work, we know something good's going to come of it, because you promised that all things will work to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, and that was written to the Romans. So Lord, I just pray right now for for every person here, Lord, who they're so busy staring off a cliff, staring out a window, looking beyond the fence that they're not even comfortable with their own skin and they're so restless. And you've told us in your Psalms, Lord, that because of a heart of disbelief, you said in your wrath that they would never enter your rest when you spoke of those in the wilderness. And Lord, I, I don't want to have that heart of, of disbelief as Hebrews would say. I want to I want to have that rest in you because Jesus, you said, come to you when we're we're exhausted. We've worked so hard, and you would give us rest. No, either you're lying, you failed, or we're not doing it. And I can only I can only reconcile this third. So, Lord, I I pray right now for those that are so restless. Now, I do recognize, Lord, that you will put a restless on our hearts when you do move us somewhere, when you prepare us. But we can have even rest in that. as so we cling to you and we just know that you're going to do something great. But, Lord, whether that's you're moving people right here, or whether you're preparing them to go wherever, or, or whether it's just that you know that, that we need to know that changes need to be made, Lord, I just pray there would be nobody would walk out of this room and not surrender to you in the process. And if there be anything right now that we are not handing over to you, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak now. You would minister now. And so Lord, with that said, I just want to commit the brothers to you as we pray now for anyone who may have yet to say yes to you. If you're not sure if you've ever said yes to Jesus as your Savior at the cross and as the architect of your reinvention, tonight is your night. I'd love the honor of praying a simple prayer of, of, of surrender And if that's you, just pray this prayer with me right now. God in heaven, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm riddled with bad deeds and thoughts and intentions and priorities. But you and your perfect love for me Not wanting me to perish, sent your only son, your only begotten son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross for my behalf, on my behalf, that all of my guilt could be punished at the cross, that I could stand before you innocent in exchange. And accepting that gift of Jesus in his death, I also accept his resurrection where the declaration for my new life prevails, proceeds. And so with that, I I give you permission, Jesus, to be more than just my get-out-of-hell-free card. But I give you the right now, the deed of my life, so that you can do whatever you want with every area of it. Demo what you have to demo. Demo tear down what you have to tear down and build something beautiful, I pray. Something beautiful as I know you will. So Lord, I don't have to understand you, but I do need to trust you. So I trust you now. Confessing Jesus is my Savior, the payment for my sins. And Jesus is my Lord, the resurrected King. I hand my life to you, Father. Adopt me now as your own. And I'm yours. Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say a confident, resounding, Amen.